Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Nathan Cassiotis. I'm a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, results strategist, business coach, mentor, and consultant. Today, I have an awesome guest. He is Australia's leading business strategist and high-performance specialist, helping over 100,000 businesses in 154 different industries throughout 11 countries worldwide with his revolutionary no-bulls approach to business growth and personal transformation. Having failed nearly every subject at school while growing up with ADHD and dyslexia, to then overcome addiction and encounter six near-death experiences, including a stroke which nearly killed him, his ability to conquer the odds is second to none. His unique approach to share the very raw and real trials, tribulations, and vulnerabilities and adversities that we're all so familiar with, which equipping his clients and audiences with the tools and capabilities to break through barriers, unlock their true potential, and become unstoppable. Welcome, Kerwin Ray, and thank you for being on my show. Ethan, <laughs> thank you so much. Dude, I feel like I should float in here after that introduction. <laughs> I like, should have like a white robe on and just, yeah, woo. <laughs> thank you, Ethan, mate. It's great to be here on your show. Awesome, mate. I love it. I aim to start the show with a lot of energy. I'm glad. Dude, that- you fucking blew my socks off then. I'm pretty sure that I've got to take my shoes off and find my socks because they're not on anymore. <laughs> oh, I love it, mate. Well, um, that is the thing to start off with a bang. And, um, you know, you're an awesome guest um, and um, you're such a privilege to have you on the show today. So, you know, you're a very successful entrepreneur. You've achieved a lot. And just maybe for the people that don't know who you are, just introduce yourself by telling us a little bit more about you and your journey. Yeah, look, um, you know, it's so interesting because I often say I, I don't really have a special journey, but then when I reflect on it, it's a very interesting journey. You know, I've, uh, you know, I grew up with a, you know, with a single mom on a pension. My parents uh, separated when I was about six months of age. Um, wasn't academically gifted by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I failed everything every three months. Um, every three months when I got the report card, I, I had a little reminder of just how stupid I was. Um, and if the kids at school didn't remind me, the report card did. And if the report card and the kids didn't, there was always people, uh, you know, closer to home that did as well. And so, yeah, I, I guess you could say I, I grew up with a fundamental belief that I was not a very smart person. And at the age of 23, I read my first book cover to cover. And I remember, you know, thinking after I finished that book, maybe I'm not so, maybe I'm not stupid after all. And, you know, that was a pivotal moment for me because I'd read the book and up until that point, I'd never been able to read a book uh, and I struggled to read. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but I used to read, if I ever tried to read a book, I'd read, I'd read a sentence or a paragraph and then I wouldn't remember it. And so I'd read the first sentence like a hundred times trying to remember the first sentence before going to the second sentence. And then it just became too hard. And after reading this book, I remember, I remembered everything that was in there and I was actually inspired by what I read. And I just remember thinking, wow, I'm, I can, I'm not only retaining this information, I'm understanding what they're saying. Um, and it was called The Magic of Thinking Big by Dr. David Schwartz. And it was a book that had a significant impact on the way that I thought moving forward. And yeah, fast forward, that was about, let's call it, I think I was about 20, early 20s, 22. I, I went on to start uh, my very first business in the security industry, which grew quite successfully before it failed and imploded quite successfully. Um, and then since then, you know, I've uh, managed to grow and build a number of different businesses and a number of industries, but I've also had the great opportunity of being able to consult um, and educate now in, um, you know, probably over a dozen countries around the world in, as you mentioned, probably over 150, 160 different industries. And I think the difference with what I do when I work with a business owner, 
and this is probably a fundamental difference. Like we have world-class best practice processes when it comes to marketing, you know, planning, sales and automation and, you know, leadership and scale and, 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 and the development that's required to scale businesses. But one of the things that makes a real difference is I've got a massive passion for performance psychology um, as well as quantum mechanics and particle physics. And, you know, I've essentially brought those things together in a way that helps people understand how to get through and break through their barriers and move past old behaviors in order to be able to do the things that they want to do. Cause here's what I've learned, Ethan, and you probably know this yourself. Um, success isn't really difficult. It's just identifying the routines that are required to be repeated consistency, consistently and frequently in order to produce a predictable outcome. And most people just don't commit. Most people don't have the discipline to be able to focus the routines, um, to do the routines and to do um, them consistently in order to produce, you know, a solid result. And, you know, that's one thing that we've been able to do very well, not just for ourselves, but also for our clients, identify what those routines are and then help them implement them. And oftentimes it's what prevents people from implementing a routine. That's the real problem, not the routine itself. Yeah. I love that. Such an amazing story and a bit extra there to break it down and, and what you're all about. And um, what I uh, love about your trainings is that, you know, there's a big focus, like you said, on, on quantum physics and energy, right? And I think this is a topic that, you know, most people don't know much about this, right? In the business world, because they're just doing, you know, sort of main street type things. So I'd love to start off with a bang um, in this. Sure. And, and, the big bang. <laughs> the big bang. That's right. Um, whichever way you look at it and more ways than one. And it's probably explaining a little bit more about maybe initially what they are and, and how they can affect, you know, our, our life and business. Well, look, you know, the best way I can explain, you know, the, the, the quantum stuff that we play with is, you know, we essentially play in a Newtonian space. Like we play in a Newtonian reality where, you know, it's governed by the four law, four, the four forces of the universe. So strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, electromagnetism and gravity. And all of those things create very predictable um, causal outcomes, you know? Um, but when you look, below the surface of the Newtonian world that we live in, there's another world that lives below that. And that's called the quantum space. And the quantum space is very different from the Newtonian space. The Newtonian space is very predictable, very measurable. The quantum space is very unpredictable, very almost chaotic, almost random in, in, in fact. And although it's not predictable, it is, it is an environment that is affected by probability factors. But what's most interesting is the Newtonian world is actually born from the quantum world. So this, this orderly world that we live in is actually born from a world of chaos. And so, you know, as, um, as the theories go, if you drop a, a pebble in the pond of the quantum soup, those ripples will essentially affect all the way out into the Newtonian space and, and, and the reality that you live in. And, you know, for the skeptical pundits at home, you going, oh, this sounds like a crook of shit. You know, you've only got to really just explore particle physics at a very surface level to understand that the entire world that we are living in is built upon a foundation of frequency. You know, every single atom, you know, that is composing any form around you right now is vibrating at a specific rate of frequency that gives it the appearance that it has. But ultimately what quantum science has demonstrated to us is that there is no mass. And if there is, we haven't been able to find it yet. You know, we theoretically assumed that the mass was, you know, less than 0.1% of the, uh, the atom. And then we thought it was emitted from the electron. And now the more we look for mass in time, in, you know, whether it be in the electron or the nucleus or any part of the atomic structure, what we find is just more energy and, and more frequency. And it's that energy and frequency that gives birth to this physical world that we live in. Um, but understanding that we are, you know, beings that are essentially, you know, not only do we contain all of the elements, we also uh, create through 
being alive, uh, I guess you could say our own frequencies, you know, every single organ in the body has its own frequency, you know, and there are some organs in the body that actually, you know, act like a conductor in order to maintain those frequencies. And when any organ in the body is out of frequency, that's normally not working properly. Uh, the, the planet, you know, has a frequency in itself. And what we've learned is the way the frequency that, that things emit affect the behavior of the things around them. And so when we start to understand that we are essentially making noise, whether we're, our mouth is shut or not, but we're also, we're sending noise or sending information to the environment, we're receiving information in the environment, and we can start creating a conscious link between what we're sending and what we're receiving. We start to realize the level of responsibility that we have in being aware of what we send out there. You know, what we're thinking about, you know, what we talk about, uh, the actions that we have, because all of those things are fundamentally governed by, you know, factors of energy, factors of frequency. And, you know, ultimately they create a reverb that comes back to us and, 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 and we receive that, you know, as either a positive experience, a negative experience, or in some cases, even a neutral experience. But um, when you start to realize, and there's this old saying in quantum mechanics that comes from psychology, when you change the way you look at the world, the world you look at changes, you start to realize that we have a lot more control over how our world shows up um, than just, you know, writing a goals list. You know, we actually do have the capacity to be able to affect our environment in our physical environment. Uh, just through the energy that we emit, you know, and you've only got to delve into whether it be Masaru Emoto's work. Uh, he's written, you know, about 16 books. One of them is called Messages in Water, where he was essentially measuring the impact of what information has on water. So he'd write, write down a word, he'd stick your tape into a bottle of water, he'd leave that for 24 hours, then take that bottle of water and put it into 50 different Petri dishes. He'd put it into a, a freezer at minus 51 degrees, take it out, put it into a freezer at minus five. And when it thawed from minus 50 to minus five, they would, those, those samples, those water samples, those ice now samples would fractal. And he would take a photograph of those beautiful structures under a blue field microscope and you'd compare them based on the language that was imprinted on them. And so we've learned that, you know, our words, our actions, you know, they all carry information and that information, you know, is also is carried and received by all, it's transmitted and received by all of us, but it's also received by the environment itself and how that environment. So we can change the structure of water just by the way that we think about the water. We can change the structure of water by the music that we play to the water. We can change the structure of water by what we say to the water. And, you know, lo and behold, we're about 80% water. So, you know, that there gives us an understanding of the responsibility that is required if we want to be healthy in terms of the way that we communicate with ourselves, you know, whether it be ourselves or the environment. Yeah. I love that. What an amazing response. And um, I hope everybody really listens to that multiple times to see how much gold Kerwin just shared with us there. And I think one little extra part that I love for you to just explain a little bit more on is obviously intention is a big thing, right? And, and the other thing is, is conscious observation as well. Yes. And I, I know you've mentioned like the double slit experiment and things like that of how that works. So how is our intention there? And then how can we best utilize it so that we can, you know, translate that into, you know, fast business growth as well? Well, look, I think everybody's probably been through that scenario where they've written down a list of goals. You know, they've maybe lost that list and then 12 months, five years, 10 years later, they're cleaning out the house and they find that list like, oh, fuck, you know, I actually have done quite a few of these things. You know, what a miraculous accident. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a mystery to it, but there's also a bit of a magic to it. And when we understand what, what an intention is, an intention is a, declara a, a declaration of creation. You know, it's, it's, it's an intent that carries with it, you know, it can be an emotional intent, it could be a physical intent, but it carries with it an outcome that we're looking for. And when you look at, you know, the way that the world shows up, especially when you compare energy in its different states, you know, energy essentially can exist in three states. You've got, you know, non-local um, or wave function or superposition. You've got localized, which is when, you know, when there's an atomic structure that has collapsed and is, is now local. 
Uh, and then you've got the intermediary part, which is the, de the decoherence. And that's the phase where the energy transitions from a wave function, which is non-local in superposition, so multiple locations at once. Okay. And once that there's a, there's, a, there's a form or a system of measurement that's placed on that area, okay, that wave function collapses into a localized atomic form or a, or a cluster of atoms, so to speak. But what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, that collapse, that decoherence, that, that happens through the observation process. In science, you know, we refer to it as the observer effect um, or, you know, or a system of measurement that's been applied. Um, because what we know is there is an enormous amount of energy that is um, in circulation that we can't see by the way. Um, and much like you might go, well, there's no energy in this room. I can't see it. Well, you probably can't see the 50 liters of water that's floating around you right now either. Okay. It's your sensory perception is not tuned to the level that enables you to see the micro droplets of water that essentially make up the vapor that create the humidity in the space that you're in right now. But if we were to condense that humidity, you know, we take a condenser or a dehumidifier into that room, that dehumidifier condenses that energy. It takes that energy, those little water droplets, and it condenses and it brings them together. And before you know it, that, that room full of humid air or that room full of just air that doesn't feel like it's even in some cases got any humidity is now a big puddle of water. And if we were to condense that water even further and lower the surface tension, that water even further, you know, before you know it, you've now got a, blo a block of ice. But that block of ice, you know, only three, two hours ago before you started to conduct that experiment was completely non-physical. Okay, it was completely gaseous in nature and you had no sensory organs in your body that enabled you to be able to see it. But now I've condensed all those molecules into water. I've then condensed that water by lowering the surface tension and lowering the temperature into a solid form of mass. And what a lot of people don't realize is that's the best way that you can describe the collapse process from a wave function all the way through to you know, a local localized physical structure. But what a lot of us don't realize is that we are swimming in a sea of energy. And, you know, the, 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 the Chinese have been onto this for centuries, over 2000 years. Feng Shui has been a very popular form of environmental science where they understand that we live in a world of energy. And, you know, the law, one of the laws of thermodynamic states that energy isn't created or destroyed. It's just constantly changing form. And so, you know, it's important to realize that as things decay, as they break down, they don't go away. Their energy just changes form. And during that transition it becomes bioavailable and so when a tree big you know 3,000 ton tree falls down 800 years old it's a big tree but then over the next 10 20 30 years that tree breaks down it gets recompositioned some of its matter and and, and, and nutrients and fibers get you know recompositioned into the into the environment but some of that mass essentially is given off in the form of decay and that decay becomes bioavailable energy that essentially swims around and the Chinese environmental scientists over two and a half thousand years ago worked out, well, if we put certain structures in certain areas of the home, we amplify the flow of that bioavailable energy to different aspects of our lives, which increase the chances and the probability of form taking place of a positive nature. And so, you know, when we understand that we live in a world of energy and our intention by virtue is carried by the uh, the electromagnetic field that we emit. And when you look at the, and I'm going, I hope you don't mind, I'm going pretty, I didn't realize it's going to go this deep this fast. But when we look at the electromagnetic field, it's an important part of the intentional creation process because when we, you know, the mind has an electromagnetic field of about, let's call it three to six feet, but the heart has an electromagnetic field of around 19 to 23 feet. The heart has 100,000 times of electrical charge of any other organ in the body. The heart has its own central nervous system. The heart sends 16 times more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. You know, the heart is essentially the emperor. It's the organ in the body that regulates the frequency of all other organs. 
And so when organ, other organs get out of the whack, it's the heart that essentially is like the conductor of the, uh, of the orchestra that is, you know, the, the function of your body. But every time your heart beats, it imprints, you know, it's imprinting information that it sends to the organs, but it's also imprinting information on the environment. And, you know, when we look at the way the environment behaves, first of all, the environment is an atomic structure. Okay. It's made of atoms. Okay. Those atoms at some point were a wave function that went through a collapse, but those atoms have a communication system as well. And the communication system that those atoms have, they communicate through their electrons. And the, the, the way that they communicate isn't through messenger. Okay. It's not through Skype. It's actually through uh, photons. And so electro, uh, the electrons on the atoms communicate with one another going, hey, I'm vibrating this frequency. Hey, I'm vibrating this frequency. Well, we should hang out. Let's be a puddle. Well, let's hang out. Let's be a table, so to speak. But what's really important to understand is your body is constantly emitting biophotonic energy. You are a luminous being. It's been written about, talked about scriptures for thousands of years. But, you know, going back when Buddha was talking about this, they didn't have thermal glasses that enabled us to go, oh, shit, you glow in the dark when I wear these goggles. They just had this access to this intuitive wisdom where they're like, we are constantly emitting light. We are luminous. And, you know, fast forward two and a half thousand years, we now have the sensory, um, uh, we now have the sensory um, structures. And I mean, by sensory, like we have things like thermal imaging where we can look at someone and go, fuck, you're glowing in the dark. And they're not glowing in the dark. They're just releasing, okay, the transfer, the transmutation of heat. They're releasing heat and that heat okay, that you can feel that is leaving your body or that you can feel from someone else's body, that's photonic energy, that's light, okay? But when that light leaves your body and your heart beats, that heart beats, imprints information on those photons that go out into your environment and communicate with the rest of the world, okay? And so every time your heart beats, you're communicating with your environment. Now, I know there's got to be at least one or two fucking skeptics in the room at this point, oh, this sounds like a crock of shit, okay? Well, I'm sure, you know, most of us have had the experience where someone else has walked into the room and we've looked at them, not knowing them and gone, there's something about this person I don't like. And then they open their mouth and you're like, fuck, I knew it. I must be psychic. And when we look at psychic phenomena, when we look at intuition, when we look at you know, the gut instinct, that explains a lot because the heart's not only transmitting information, the heart, every time it opens, is also receiving information. Remember what I said, the heart is sending 16 times more information to the brain, the brain is to the heart. Okay. And this intuitive power was given to us by mother nature. This isn't fucking new. You know, the last 200 years, humanity's done a great job of quashing its intuition because intuition is the sixth sense. It was given to us by mother nature to be able to avoid, you know, uh, dangerous things and to be able to find food when we didn't know where to go. So this is an innate part of who we are, but this part of who we are is not just limited to receiving information based on how to survive, you know, whether it's avoiding fear or, or, or searching for food. It also enables us to be able to receive information and other photonic energy from other beings. And so every time my heart beats, I'm sending information to the environment. And there are some people that can walk into my environment and go, I can pick up what he's putting down. I can feel what he's saying. And I'm sure everyone has had this experience. But what a lot of people don't realize is every time your heart beats, every time you're sending information out there, that's what we refer to as an intention. Now, your heart also has about four, four it's between 40,000, it's debatable at this point, 40,000 and 4 million neurons. So your heart's made of neural tissue. So it's an actual brain. Okay, and every time your heart breathes, whatever those neurons contain is being shared with the information in the environment. Okay, and it's being sent out to the environment. And if you're thinking about all the worst things in the world that could possibly happen, and that's going to be sent into the environment, it's going to increase the probability. Because remember, at this level of the game, we're talking frequency. We're not in the Newtonian space, we're still in the quantum space. So you're existing in both, you coexist in both spaces. But every time your heart beats, you're sending energy out. That energy is rippling in the quantum realms, and then it comes up into the Newtonian space of some form. Okay, and we go, oh my God, my life's so bad, my life's so bad. And then a form comes up, we go, see, I told you my life is so bad, you know, as one aspect. But what we've got to do is take an incredible level of responsibility to the understanding that our thoughts 
are what program our heart. Our heart is what is communicating with the environment. And what our heart communicates with the environment is essentially having probability. It's affecting the probability of what shows up there. Now, this is where we start looking at the intention and the word in tension, because when that photonic energy is leaving your body, it increases the surface tension of your environment. And if you're in releasing, 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 and you're focusing on some form at some point, that energy, okay, the more you do this, the greater probability will build up to a point where there's so much surface tension in the environment. There's so much focus and measurement on an outcome that that energy will collapse. It'll go through the T coherence process, and then you will have a physical structure. You'll have a physical form. Then your brain has to rationalize that. Okay, now you're either going to now here's and this is why so many people you know, go, oh, well, then why can't I create a Mack truck? Because you're like, well, if you fucking create a Mack truck, brother, you'd probably go raving mad because you'd be like, how the fuck did that happen? And you think, you're, you know, there's some part of you that's got a bit of a screw loose. Whereas what we've got to realize is we have the capacity, not necessarily, although depending on who you speak to, um, to create things like Mack trucks. But we do over time have the capacity to increase the probability of certain things showing up and certain things being created. Because, you know, and I'd even say to you, Ethan, has there been any times in your life where you've gone, you know what, I'd really love to, it'd be so much fun, I'd really love to create this. And sometimes without you doing anything, has that shown up in your life? Yeah, definitely. Um, amazing. Just like with my fiance, I literally asked for her perfectly that and manifested at the same event and got her. Well, there you go. <laughs> and there you go. Sometimes it happens quickly because there's just an out, there's just, you know, there's the perfect, you know, uh, mix of, environmental tension there and sometimes it requires time it requires lots of you know lots of seeds in the quantum in the quantum in the quantum uh, soil that are planted in the quantum soil quantum soil seed 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 and then ultimately that seed you know breaks through the ripple is created and it's felt in the newtonian space so the word intention is actually quite a literal word as is the word heart because the heart is a transceiver and when you take if you look at the root word or the root of heart you take the t off the end what have you got you got here you take the h off the end what have you got you got ear you know throughout history we've been told to listen to our heart okay or he's got a good heart or i can feel his heart or i can feel her heart so this isn't new information we now just got the sensory equipment that has been developed to be able to understand what in some cases, you know, philosophers and, um, you know, spiritual yogis and gurus have been talking about for thousands of years. Yeah. I love that. Such an amazing part there. And I hope everybody's really taking notes on this because that was just a, a little <laughs> bold there. <laughs> I should point out, normally I, I get two days with someone to fucking pry their brains open before I drop this kind of stuff in their head. Because And I, and I want to acknowledge that because I know there might be some people right now going, this sounds like a crazy crock of soup. And I understand that. Okay. But what I'd encourage you to do is go and pick up a book on quantum mechanics and particle physics, not one that's based on math. You know, I've had the great privilege of not only researching and studying, I've also been to CERN, the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva. I've interviewed a number of their top physicists to validate, you know, to make sure that this, this shit is actually real world stuff. And it is. And yes, it is open to interpretation, but um, the fundamentals are there. You don't need to be a rocket scientist, so to speak, no pun intended, uh, in order to work this out. And here's the thing that I've learned, Nathan, the more I've learned about how the the quantum world works, the more I understand about quantum mechanics and particle physics. So particle physics is how, what is the physics of how particles work? You know, what's the physical nature and quantum mechanics, how do things work at a quantum space? And the more I understand about the physical nature and the mechanics of the quantum space, the, the more easily I've been able to create things in the life, in my life that I want, the more easily I've been able to make money, the more easily I've been able to create experiences, uh, the more easily I've been able to generate knowledge and understanding. In some cases, you know, with, <laughs> with very little exposure to certain subjects. Yeah. I love that. So many amazing points. And let's, 
let's like transition this into something well, because, you know, we're getting, let's say we're getting all this quantum knowledge. We're putting a lot in our focus in our business at the same time. We need, you know, sometimes our, our brains can get overloaded. We need a bit of a break, right, from things. Yeah. And I think this is where meditation comes into it, right, which is becoming, you know, more widely known for positive benefits, especially in the business world, right, among just generally. So now there's a lot of different types of meditations out there, right? You know, what I've done and, and people may be a little bit unsure of what to do, but I'd just like to hear it from your point of view of what type of meditation that you practice and is there a, a simple way to do this uh, consistently and effectively? Absolutely. Do you mind if I give you a beeline before I give you that? Of course. And just because like, I think oftentimes people go, oh, meditation, you know, it's, it's so fucking, you know, 2020. Um, but I think what we've got to do is understand why there's a requirement for meditation in the first place. Because most people go, well, you know, I'm experiencing levels. And this is very valid, by the way. I'm experiencing levels of stress that I've never experienced before, whether it be lockdowns, COVID, you know, loss of business, loss of relationship, loss of health. You know, I'm experiencing an incredibly high level of stress. And so I need to regulate my system better. Um, but what we also need to understand is the other benefits of meditation that go beyond just being able to regulate our bodies and regulate our stress and regulate our emotions, regulate our autonomic nervous system. The other benefits of meditation is the ability to increase our central nervous system's capacity to hold information. And, you know, this this in there and there lies the ability to become more aware, you know, and I, I open every, every, every conversation I have with my clients or presentation or keynote, I always open it with the consciousness, you know, the consciousness discussion, which is, you know, your brain's processing 16 trillion bits of information every one second, but the average punter is only aware of about seven to 2000 bits of that information. And our goal is to be able to hold more information because the more information your central nervous system can hold, the bigger the perspective you'll have because you're holding more information. Okay. And as you become more aware, you know, I'm not talking about this in the spiritual context necessarily, although it has its applications here. I'm talking about you actually become more aware. You become more aware of sounds. You become more aware of your environment. You become more aware of the nuances and different things. You just generally become more aware and you start to see things that you've never seen before, but you see them in simul simultaneously at the same time, as many other things that you've seen. So you're now holding more information. Okay. And the person who can hold more information is the person who has the greatest level of choice. And so for me, enlightenment isn't about, you know, necessarily just some spiritual endeavor, you know, the, 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 the path to enlightenment or the path to consciousness more specifically is the path to being able to hold and process more information without it overriding and overloading your system to the point where it triggers a stress response to the point where it triggers an emotional response. And this is where meditation comes in as we, you know, have this goal, because if you want to become better at business, you got to, you got to become more aware of the things that you don't know. If you want to become better in a relationship, you've got to become more aware of the things that you don't know. So you can do things differently. Otherwise you're going to do what you've already done, which will give you the results that you've already got. And so in order to do things differently, we have to learn new things. And, you know, when people start learning new things, what's the first, one of the biggest complaints that people have, Oh, I'm confused. Oh, I'm fr frustrated. Oh, I'm overwhelmed. And that overwhelm is nothing more than an indication that the central nervous system is satiated with the amount of information that's holding and it can't hold anymore. And if it was to hold anymore, it would start to fragment. Okay. And you would go through some form of a, you know, whether it's called a, a, a breakdown or a, um, a burnout or, you know, a, a crash of some sorts. Whereas when we meditate, what we do is we actually unravel the central nervous system. The, the central nervous system starts to relax 
okay, it gets to be put into a state of safety. You know, we get to take the autonomic nervous system offline when we do it properly. And so when that uh, uh, central nervous system starts to unravel, it starts to release information that's been stored or trapped in there through experiences, emotions, traumas, you name it. And as that comes out, it can produce high levels of discomfort. Okay, because your brain will start thinking overactively, your body will start hurting like crazy. And be like, I fucking hate this meditation shit. You know, all I do is sit here and think about my problems. That's the fucking point, man. Okay, the point there is for the first, you know, maybe 20 meditations, you're probably all you're going to be able to think about is your problems because that's showing you where you're at. Okay, and that's showing you what's coming to the surface. But bit by bit by bit, the mind becomes quieter. Bit by bit by bit, less stuff comes up. Bit by bit by bit there may be less thumbs up, but it comes more pronounced. Okay. It might be very physical reactions or it might be very emotional reactions, but the body's releasing this information. And when you allow the body to release the information from the central nervous system, you're essentially unloading. Okay. And emptying the tanks or emptying the capacity of what uh, the amount of information that your central nervous system can hold. And right now, the reason that so many people are overstressed is because their system, their central nervous system is already at satiation. Their central nervous system is already saturated with information, okay, that we call stress because it's been interpreted that way. So the central nervous system is completely wound up. People are tense. They are tight. They are overwhelmed. They can't think properly. Uh, and as a result, you know, it affects the way that we behave, not just in terms of how we behave to ourselves, but also how we behave to others. So meditation to me, you know, it's an incredibly important routine that when practiced consistently gives you so many different benefits, you know, and it's not just feeling less stressed. It's not just sleeping better. You know, it's not just more compassion. You know, it's not just the capacity to hold more information so you can see things that you've never seen before. So you can make decisions that you've never been able to because you couldn't see what was required. There are so many incredible benefits. You know, I don't know where to start, but that's a good place. <laughs> Love it, mate. Such amazing points there. And um, now let, let's switch the business side because we've talked a lot about quantum and meditation and stuff now, but I know you're big on business as well. And there's one specific thing that I wanted to touch on that I'm sure you'd be able to provide um, some good knowledge on is intellectual property. It's a big topic that's coming up, yes. you know, with people that I work with in business, right? Great and, question. You know, like patents, you know, are mainly used for products, but I want to focus more on the services, right? And I know there's yep. there's copyrights, which is simple with, with what we create, but probably trademarking is probably yes. where I want to start more, which is more important to protect our, our key assets. So correct. firstly, you know, what should we trademark? And then I guess what what are the different types of structures you know there's different business structures right we've got companies and trusts and things like that as well um you know if we've got a company you know that we're just working with should we register the trademark in our company i know there's trust we register it there how should we do it for protection and licensing or other types of purposes yeah. as well then depending on who's holding the trademark or the patent or the copyright that's something that your lawyer should really work out with you depending on your own business structure and you know although i have a good understanding of structures it's not my expertise so i'm not going to play there but i'll just say you know speak to someone you know who's who's intelligent and most 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 of the time they will tell you to place all of your ip you know either in a separate trust or a separate company that gives it a level of isolation from litigation or you know uh, or just you know money hungry people who want to sue you for no reason but you you bring up a really important point around the importance of ip protection in the services space it's something that in most cases is grossly neglected you know especially in australia especially in the space that i play you know i've lost count of how many people that we've had to send legal letters to and i have i hold no malice to the people i hold i, I have to send those well i don't have to my lawyer does those letters too because i understand that some people go well it's information out there i can just grab it and take it and so well no you can't 
Okay. And so when it comes to knowing, and, and I'll give you, you know, real context here, I've spent, it's probably close to, it would be over a quarter of a million dollars now on trademarks just in the last three years. It's probably closer to 300, maybe $350,000. So what are the things that you should trademark? Well, you should be trademarking your business name. You should be trademarking your business name along with your logo. You should be trademarking anything that is unique to your business. So if you've got a tagline, for example, okay, we have our taglines, you know, helping people and helping business owners succeed. You know, we have them trademarked. But people might go, well, hang on a second. You know, am I going to really go and spend, you know, $10,000 to trademark just my business name? Well, the challenge that you've got is right now, you may not see the value in it because maybe you're only turning over a hundred thousand. Okay. But let's fast forward 10 years down the track. Maybe you're in a hundred million and you still don't have your business name trademarked and someone goes and takes it or someone, you know, takes your, uh, a team member, you know, leaves you and starts their own business and, you know, takes your, your, your tagline or takes your systems or, or your processes. And this is where we get to the other side of trademarking because you can trademark, you know, uh, images, you can trademark words. And again, it's all part of an application process before it gets approved. Not necessarily everything is just because something is available doesn't mean you could trademark. It depends on its uniqueness. And that's the most important thing in a trademark scenario is it's how unique is it when it comes to distinguishing it from everything else. But where services businesses go wrong, and this is where I've made mistakes myself and you know, I'm learning those mistakes now, is the importance of trademarking process, the importance of trademarking systems, the importance of trademarking frameworks. If you've got core frameworks that are part of your methodology, if you've got core processes that are part of your methodology, if you've got core, you know, any framework systems processes that are part of your core methodology as a service provider that you either use to conduct what you do or that you teach to your clients as a part of transferring knowledge, then that should be trademarked. And you know, right now, I know I can hear what most people are saying, but cool, and that would cost tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, it does. Okay. And chances are, chances are, depending on how you grow, you may never need it. Okay. Much like, you know, many people have made the mistake, you know, whereby they go, well, I'm just a little business now. So I'm not going to set up my structures properly. Once I'm rich and successful, then I'll straight up, then I'll set up my straight, you know, my structures properly. Now you fast forward 20 years down the track, now you're going to be hit with a massive you know, capital gains bill because you're now transferring assets between structures, which in essence is a transaction. Okay. It's, it's just the same thing as, as, as selling an asset. And so therein lies the hindsight's a beautiful thing. And depending on, you know, how you, much you set yourself up now will determine how protected you are later. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very big on trademarks, but you know, as I said, it's only been the last three or four years and I've been doing what I do now for 21 years, but it's only been in the last four years that I've started putting trademarks in place. But the question is why? Well, I've had clients that have, you know, stolen, um, IP I've had ex contractors, ex team members that have stolen IP. Um, you know, and some will are quite audacious in the way that they steal. I'll steal everything. And if you don't have it protected, then you've got no way that you can shut that and prevent that from happening, shut that down and prevent it from happening. Yeah. Um, so amazing points there. And, and thanks for sharing that. And just probably one extra bit I'll ask because we can trademark, let's just say we're an Australian business, right? Where we are, but there's business all over the world. Obviously we can trademark it in Australia, but there's obviously other countries out there as well, right? Obviously like as well. The U S and the UK and stuff like that. Should, should we be, focusing on those as well again or? it's one of those things you might start in australia and three years from now as you grow you then you know expand to the us and then expand to the uk you know what i wouldn't suggest is trademarking everything and everywhere because you'll probably go broke you know before you've even started depending on where you are but something else that a lot of people don't realize that you can trademark is you can actually trademark 
Um, so say, for example, you've got systems and processes that aren't yours, but you bring them together in a unique way. You can actually trademark that. Okay. It's not necessarily the, 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 the micro aspects of what you're trying to trademark. In some cases, it might be the unique formula because, you know, no one put a patent on salt in the, the seven herbs and spices. Okay. Individually. Okay. But they put a patent on them together. Okay. But you didn't see, you know, the salt guru come up. You didn't see the pepper guru come up. You didn't see the, you know, the, the cane pepper guru come. So hang on. No, that's, that's mine. So, well, yeah, it is yours, but we put it together in a unique way that now enables us to trademark it. Yeah. I love that. Awesome stuff there. Really powerful. Um, Okay, let, let's switch a little bit to, I think, podcasts, right? Are becoming massive now. You know, you're on my podcast. You've got an amazing podcast as well. And there's so many people there to get them out. And I, w- I want to go a little bit specific on this one. It's probably a question that you don't normally get asked that often is like, if I'm interviewing people, whether this is yourself or, or other successful people, right? And we want to build the relationship with this person, right? Um, to grow the relationship and see if there's opportunities of, you know, how to work together and things like that so everybody wins. So what are some things you can share with people that are, you know, wanting to get out there and, um, you know, connect with people on podcasts and then not just doing the podcast, but, you know, growing forward on, on how, you know, we can grow from there. How to grow a podcast? Well, how to grow a podcast, but also probably more specifically is how to grow with the people the, the relationships more of the people that you're interviewing as well. Well, here's what I found podcasts, open doors. You know, if you've got a good podcast and even if you don't have a good podcast, if you're just fucking persistent, you can, you'd be surprised at who you can get to come and agree to come on your show. And so the first thing is, you know, just because someone's got a big name doesn't mean that you shouldn't approach them, but just do it really professionally. Um, but also what you've got to understand is in most cases, when someone comes on your podcast, you know, there may not be anything of value to them other than what they're giving you that you might be able to share with, you know, a small, medium or a large size audience. So one of the things that I've learned that's enabled me to build relationships with a lot of the people I've interviewed is how can I add value to their life? You know, what's one way that I can add some significant value to their life? And so one of the things that I do at the end of most of the podcasts that I, that I conduct is I'll, I'll, you know, we'll shut the podcast down, but it's still rolling. And I'll say, listen, you know, I'm just curious, you know, with the business you're in right now, with the work that you're doing right now, how can I help you? You know, my specialty is scale. My specialty is fast growth. I've got a great, you know, level of influence on social media and understanding. Is there anything I've got that can support you right now? And I can't tell you how many conversations that's led to where we've had bigger conversations and then I've gone, oh, by the way, you know, here's two free tickets to come to my training. I'd love you to have you come along. And I've had people fly from the US and Germany in other parts of the world just to do my trainings. And I've given them tickets for free just because I interviewed them as a podcast. And now they're an influencer in my room, you know, and now they're a testimonial, you know, and now they're possibly, you know, a K2 elite. Um, and so for me, you know, it's, it really comes down to how do I add value to their values? And this is where most people fuck up in an extraordinarily good way or bad way, I should say. They like just think, well, just because I give someone something for free, then surely they must be grateful. No. People only appreciate things that are given to them that have value and all value is measured against the values of the individual. And so my values might be different to your values, Ethan. And so if someone gives us both the same gift, it might meet your values. You'd be like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever had, but it may not actually even tickle any of my values. And I go, this is actually just a waste of space. Now I'm actually feeling guilty because I have to throw this out and I'm now putting more fucking shit in the environment. And so this is where we've got to understand who is a person that we're talking to, what's important to them from the conversation I've had so far, 
you know, what are their values and how can I meet their values? You know, other ways that I've met people's values. And I've never done this as a way necessarily, but I've now considered in hindsight. And I can think of a couple of occasions where I brought people on and they've been, you know, the, the I found out on the call or on the podcast that they're ahead of a charity, you know, and, you know, then we'll dig into the charity and it'll move me. And unless it moves me, I won't do this. And if it moves me, then I'll go, man. And this happened last week um, with a lady. I, oh gosh, what was her name? Uh, the, uh, the premies uh, running with premies. I did a podcast with her and her story just moved me to the ground. She had three, three premie babies that all died at different points of, their life over a period of months. Um, she then had um, uh, Sophie Smith. She then lost her husband, then had two kids then lost her husband. And I was absolutely impacted. Like I was actually crying on the podcast and, you know, just by me being touched. And this is one of an, a number of times I've done this. I, I, excuse me. I donated five grand to her charity. And as a result, that started a relationship. You know, I did the same thing, you know, with a number of other guests where I donate to their charity, not because I'm like, Oh, okay. If I donate to the charity, then I'm going to you know, be able to get all the secret sources from them. It's like, no, man, that what you're doing, man, that touches me. Our values are aligned here and I want to give you some value. And if I can't give you value of my time, okay. Cause I'm a busy guy, man, there's a few thousand dollars. There's a few hundred dollars. I want to donate to your charity. And that opens doors. That absolutely opens doors. You know, I remember when I went to a celebrity auction, not a, it wasn't a celebrity auction. It was a, my accountant, Anthony Bell, top bloke. I hope you're listening, AB. Um, he runs a, uh, a foundation called Loyal. And every year they run, they used to, before COVID, they'd run a ball. And at one of these balls, you know, I remember they were raising money for Humpty Dumpty. And when I started to find out about how, how many kids are affected by preemie birth, how many kids, you know, don't have the equipment at the different hospitals because most hospitals can't afford the equipment themselves. And 80% of the most pediatric equipment is comes from donations and fundraising. I was like, what, this is fucking nuts. And I found myself, you know, buying a $35,000 machine to put in a, you know, a regional country hospital. And just by virtue of that, just by doing that, you know, I've had a number of very successful high profile people came up to me at that event and going, man, well done, you know, nice work. And that started a relationship. And so this is where we've got to understand value and values are interlinked. And you might give someone something, but you've got to know who they are if you want to make sure what you give them lands in a meaningful way. Yeah, I love that. So many awesome points there. And, um, you know, we're getting close to the end here now, Kerwin. So just to wrap up, um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, listening in that and, and successful people that want to grow. What one key piece of advice would you give to them all to help them move forward? 80% of this game is psychology. And I don't care how many books you've read. I don't care what processes you've got access to. If you can't get the head straight, and it doesn't even have to be straight. It just needs to be pointing in a relatively northern direction in order to start getting momentum. You know, psychology is 80% of the game. You know, and if you're, not, if you're investing in no time into the understanding how you think and getting to know yourself better, then you're missing the whole point of not only business, but life. Because to me, business, business is a venture. It's an adventure. You know, it's an adventure whereby taking this adventure, we get to learn all about ourselves. And the more you actually reflect on your ventures adventure and how you show up in that adventure, the more you understand about what's holding you back. And so to me, business is very much a game of it's, it's a, it's a very, it's very much based on feedback, but most people aren't fucking listening to the feedback because they're just doing things, constantly doing, constantly doing, constantly doing. At no point do they sit with themselves at no point. You know, I can't tell you how many times someone's come to me and said, come on, no, have you got a, do you know any good books for motivation or do you know any good seminars for motivation? Like, how do you stay so motivated? And I'm like, you really want to know how I motivate myself? They're like, yeah, how like, I fucking wake up and I'm like this. I have a button on my chest that I can press 
it's not even on my chest, but I have a button in my mind that I can wake up and I can press that button 50 times a day and I can turn myself on. Regardless, I have been able to, in some cases, run five-day events while I'm in the midst of a massive PTSD event where my heart's at 120 beats a minute, not coming under. I've got doctors telling me to go to hospital and I should be put in a hospital, but I'm running you know, multiple-day events and I'm fucking crushing it. And I'm not saying that's what you should do, but what I am saying is the reason I have been able to do those, do something like that, the reason I know where my button is on my chest, the reason I don't put myself into certain situations and I do put myself into other situations is because I've spent so much time by myself getting to know who I am that I know where all my fucking buttons are. And so if someone comes into my world and they want to play with my keyboard, I know how to take my keyboard off the table. Okay. But I also know how to put it on the table for the right people. But I also know that depending on what I need from me, I've spent so much time with myself that I know how to get whatever I need out of myself at any point in time. You know, and it's much like that's what a good leader will do. A good leader will spend so much time with their core team members so that they know them implicitly. So at any point they're having a, a down day, a bad day, a you know, bad head, whatever that day is, they go, they know them well enough to, to get inside their head and go, hey, listen, let's focus on this, let's do this. And let's turn it around. It's like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. Okay. But most people spend more time trying to learn how to motivate others than they do trying to learn how to motivate themselves. And it's not learning how to motivate yourself necessarily that cuts through. It's learning who you are. What are the things that are genuinely important to you? Because if you know what the things are that are genuinely important to you, hello, they're your motives. They're your values. And a value is nothing more than a motive for action. Okay. And if, you're, if you don't have a motive towards an action that you've been wanting to do, and this is why... You know, one of the things that I'm, I'm really well known for is getting people to do the things that they know that they have to do that they won't do or that they haven't done. And that's why, to me, I think there should be a lot more successful people out there because, you know, it's not like there's a fucking, um, there's a, it's not like the success secrets are being held back. You can download them from the internet for free, but I guarantee you that you, your, your, your system hasn't been calibrated, defragged and antivirus enough to be able to utilize it you know, in a meaningful and effective way. And that's where for me, like the, the, the business is all about getting to know who you are. Business is all about allowing your struggles to reveal the parts of yourself that need to be worked on. You know, the struggle is there to reveal not just the parts of yourself that need to be worked on, but also in some cases, the healing that needs to take place. Because how many people have gone into business to be successful because they've got a chip on their shoulder because their dad told them you'll never amount to nothing. And so they fucking go, well, I'll fucking show you dad. And then they put all their energy you know, into creating a very successful business all the while not really enjoying it because they're just trying to fucking prove their dad, you know, all the while carrying this wound of shame and guilt and unworthy and not being enough. Whereas if you can bring that stuff to the surface and heal it, and this is what most people don't realize, like we're all carrying, we're all carrying bags, right? And everyone's bags got different shit in it. But here's what I know. If you're trying to run a hundred meter race and you're carrying a fucking bag that's full of shit, you ain't going to run very fast. But if you can every now and then take the time to sit down and reflect and open that bag and look inside that bag and pick things out and look at them objectively and unbiasedly and go, you know what? This no longer serves me anymore. I'm going to do some work on getting this out of the bag, throw it out. And then you throw something else out. You keep doing that for 12 months or three years. You get to the point you go, my bag's fucking empty. I don't even need to carry this bag anymore. Look at me run now. So to me, you know, the, the, the biggest tip that I could give people on business is get to know who you are, the good and the bad, the light and the dark, you know, because this is what makes you whole. You know, if you're just focusing on one side, you're going to be completely imbalanced and out of whack. Yeah, such powerful words. I completely agree with that. So awesome, Kerwin. And yeah, we connected through our networks where I learned about your awesome journey from having failed nearly every subject at school while growing up with ADHD and dyslexia to helping 
over 100,000 businesses in 154 different countries throughout 11, uh, sorry, 154 different industries throughout 11 countries. I've attended your Fast Growth Summit and Nallet Scale events, which have opened up my eyes to new possibilities on Thank growing you, businesses fast, you know, with integrity, which have been awesome. And you're an awesome, genuine guy. And, you know, I'm sure you continue to create massive positive change in the world by helping businesses to succeed and helping people to become better versions of themselves for their family as well. So I'm very grateful that we connected. I look forward to working with you in the future. So how can people find you and get in contact with you? Thank you, Ethan. And Matt, I would like to just throw that back on you as well. You, you are someone who has stood out um, as someone who is an action taker with what you do. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to do this with you. Um, but if people want to find out more about me, kerwinray.com, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, Facebook, Telegram. <laughs> I'm on I'm on all of it. So yeah, if anyone needs to reach out, if anyone wants to find out more, we give away, and you, as you know, Nathan, we give away so much free content. It's not funny. You know, we solve a lot of our people's problems in advance just to demonstrate where we're at in terms of, you know, our, our not just our content, but our expertise. And if anyone's got any curiosity about, you know, who's the best person to help them grow their business, it's people who have done it before. And, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about social media is it gives us the opportunity to, in some cases, try before we buy. And, you know, that's where when you look at our social media, you'll see we provide so much information. We literally are, you know, to give you context, we've had over, I think it's close to 600 million video views just on Facebook, just in the last five years. Um, and to date, we've probably had, I don't know, I've lost count of how many messages of people whose lives that we've saved as a result of them finding a video that changed their perspective and prevented them from taking their own life as an example, or, you know, prevented people from shutting down a business when they thought was no option or prevented people from having a marriage or a relationship collapse because they didn't know how to handle the relationship. So check it out. Yeah. Love and it. And the podcast, we should say the podcast, Unstoppable. Yes, Definitely. Check out Kerwin, all of those areas there, kerwinray.com, the podcast, all of his social media platforms. And thank you, everyone, for watching listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. Please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis. So visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. I completely agree with you, or do I? The only way we know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. Have a great day.